friend, have you been blessed today? I'm trusting the Lord that he has spoken to your heart and you've been blessed by the teachings. Friend, if that is the case, please let us know how these uh, uh, teachings are blessing you and uh, share this with friends and family members. And also remember to bless us back with a financial donation so we can produce more uh, shows like this to bless many other people. And we have a very safe and secure website where you can uh, make your donations right there. You can donate into this ministry anywhere in the world. All you need is an internet access. And here is our uh, our website address where you can make a very safe and secure donation. It is drruthtanyi.org slash donate. Again, drruthtanyi.org slash donate. And you can also use uh, Zelle if you live here in the USA and the Zelle telephone number for donations. Uh, here is the number, 909-501-9000. Again, that is 909-501-9031. We also accept donations through Cash App. Here is the Cash App address. Is the dollar sign, Dr. Ruth Tani. Again, the dollar sign, Dr. Ruth Tani. Friend, we thank you in advance for your donations to help support this uh, ministry. And we trust God that whatever you give into his work, he will bless you back abundantly, exceedingly. And together we are advancing God's work and transforming lives. Doesn't that feel good? That is the will of God for all of us to advance his work. So thank you for supporting this ministry. That way we can together advance God's work. We thank you and may you enjoy a blessed day today and I pray for the power of God to saturate you right now in Jesus name. Amen. Welcome to the teaching. Here is Dr. Ruth with more. Okay, welcome to today's uh, teaching. We are still in the book of Numbers. We are moving right along here. Uh, almost uh, at the end here. In the book of Numbers, uh, only about 10 uh, chapters left. Let's take a look at uh, chapter 26. It's a very interesting chapter. So what is the gist of this chapter? We will learn about the second census, okay? And here, the Israelites had been in the desert for about 38, close to uh, 39 years. And all of the first generation that went out had died in accordance with God's judgment because of disobedience. We went over that. So the purpose for this second census is to count uh, men 20 years and older who would be strong for battle to actually go to overtake the promised land. Remember, God had said all of the Israelites would die there except Joshua and Caleb because of their disobedience, that their children would be the one to go and inherit the promised land. So we see that prophecy in operation here, how the Lord would give Moses an uh, ordinance to count uh, all of the people again a second census because all of the previous ones had died. So uh, that is what is happening here. 
So take a look at verse 1. After the plague, the Lord said to Moses and Eliezer, remember Eliezer, who is the son of Aaron, the priest, he is now acting in place of Aaron. Aaron had died. Okay, you remember that. Hopefully you do. Verse 2, take a census of the whole Israelite community by families. All those 20 years old or more who are able to serve in the army of Israel. I just really like the way the Lord is so gentle, who are able, okay, who are not sick, those who are strong. I like the way the Lord is really, he's not forcing anyone to serve and he is considerate. Okay, we come to uh, verse 3. So on the plains of Moab, by the Jordan across from Jericho, Moses and Elijah, the priest, spoke with them and said, Verse 4, take a census of the men 20 years old or more as the Lord commanded Moses. So we see how before we had uh, Moses and Aaron who took the first census. Aaron has died. Moses is still alive. And we see um, Aaron's son, Eliezer, and Moses will go over counting the people all over again. I am just going to highlight uh, some of the uh, verses here. Uh, these were the Israelites who came out of Egypt. Look at verse 5. The descendants of Reuben, the firstborn son of Israel, where you're going to, I will skip all of that. Come to verse 7. Uh, the, the tribe of Reuben, those left uh, for the 3,730. Okay. Verses 8 all the way to verse 11 is just telling us about. The line of Korah, if you recall, we talked about the rebellion that was headed by Korah. We talked about that in chapter 16, how the earth opened and uh, Korah and his relatives were swallowed up alive and they died. And the Israelite community uh, was very afraid. So what these verses are telling us is that in spite of that final judgment, the line of Korah still had some uh, descendants who stayed, who remained. So that is what that is telling us there. We come to verse 14. Look at the clan of uh, Simon, or Simon, 22,200 uh, people out of that clan. We come to verse 18. The clans of God, 40,500 men 20 years uh, older were counted. You come to verse 22, the clans of Judah, 76,500 men 20 years older were counted. Verse 23 talks about the uh, clan of Ishkar. We come to verse 25, the number is given there, 64,300. Verse 26 talks about the uh, Zebulun clan. Their number is listed in verse 27, 60,500. As I am doing this, I'm hoping that you would go back on your own and do the math, okay? From this um, counting or census to the first census, you can figure out the difference on your own. There's a principle here I will teach at the end. We come to verse 28, the descendants of Joseph by their clans through Manasseh and Ephraim. That information is recorded beginning in verse 29 all the way to verse 34. 
And in verse 34, it says, These were the clans of Manasseh. Those numbered were 52,700. Then in verse 35, uh, these were the descendants of Ephraim by their clans. If you were to come down to verse 37, it reads that these were the clans of Ephraim. Those numbered were 32,500. Okay, we come to verse 38. Uh, we are told about the uh, tribe of Benjamin. And verse 41 reports are 45,600, the clans of Dan. Verse 43 reports 64,400. I will come down to verse 47, talks about the clans of Asher, 53,400. We come to verse 50. These were the clans of Nepathali. Those numbered were 45,400. We come to um, verse 51, reports the total number of all the men 20 years and old who were counted. You can see the number there, 601730. So what you can do as a homework, you can take this total number, go back to when that first census was done at the beginning of the book of Numbers, do the math yourself. This is powerful. The principle here is that the Lord is faithful. The Lord had prophesied that the Israelites who disobeyed him would die right there in the wilderness and their children would succeed into the promised land. So the Lord had promised Moses that he would not eradicate the entire nation of Israel out of the earth, but he would let them die. Okay, during, during a span of uh, 40 years, each year, representing each of the days that the spies went out into the promised land. Remember all that? So we see how these people had all died in the wilderness and the Lord had allowed the new generation to be raised, okay? And we see how God is so wise. Man, the amount of time, the 40 years that the Lord allowed the first generation to die and the second generation to be raised strong enough to overcome come or strong enough to get into the promised land, we see how the, the nation of Israel is still intact. We see God's faithfulness. We see God's word that says that the nation of Israel is his chosen people and they would reign. We see that in operation here. We see that promise that the Lord made to Moses Okay, in operation. He did not eradicate them. We see a brand new generation of the Israelites, almost the same number, like the first generation that all had died in the um, wilderness. This in and, in and of itself is a miracle. This is a miracle that the Lord made sure that the nation of Israel stayed intact. I mean, they went through the wilderness, the hot temperature, the snakes, the Lord had given them instructions for cleanliness, for holiness. The Lord had protected them. Uh, the Lord was their provider physically, spiritually. He had provided water supernaturally for them to drink. He had provided the manna. He had preserved them. He had endured uh, with much disobedience and rejection of him. 
we see the Lord make the Lord made a righteous judgment that the, the first generation will die. We see the Lord uh, protecting them, and to and and now by the time that the census was counted, almost the same amount of Israelites were ready for battle. My goodness, this is supernatural. How the Lord preserved the nation of Israel to still go and and take that promised land. Again, highlighting God's faithfulness. When God says something, he means business. Oh my goodness, if we can just believe this. If we can just see God's faithfulness. God is so faithful. It's us, his children, that are not faithful. And this is the lesson we learned here in the book of Numbers and throughout the Old Testament pages about the Israelites who rejected God, but God's word came to pass. That is a miracle. I just wanted to highlight that, uh, how God supernaturally preserved the nation of Israel in spite of their disobedience. And if you were to go back and do the math, you would uh, find out that at the first census, the total number, like I had already mentioned, was about 603 1550 and now after the second census the total number is about 601730 if you were to do the math the difference is about 1820 so you can see the supernatural work of the lord how he preserved the nation of israel and the difference between the first and second census is not much. Glory to God. So, um, moving along here, we now come to uh, verse uh, 54. I am still in chapter 26. The Lord is going to give Moses instructions how when they overcome or when they possess a promised land, how Moses would distribute the land, okay? Verse 54 teaches us to a larger group, give a larger inheritance and to a smaller group, a smaller one. Each is to receive its inheritance according to the number of those listed. Again, God is fair. Showing God's faithfulness, God is impartial. That's what we're learning right there in that verse. Certain tribes had more people than others. So the Lord is saying that the tribes that have more people, give them more land. The tribes that have less people, give them less land. Powerful uh, principle of God's impartiality and God's justice. Verse 55, the Lord said, be sure that the land is distributed by lot. Uh, what each group inherits will be according to the names for its ancestral tribe. Uh, by lot here is referring that Moses uh, uh, Moses was to cast lot or Joshua, as, as we would learn, Joshua would be the one to take the children of Israel into the promised land. When uh, they get there, uh, lot has to be uh, um, tossed. They have to decide which uh, area, meaning north, south, east, or west, they have to decide by casting lots, but they have to uh, give each tribe its land based on size, based on the, no the number of people in each tribe, okay? So after casting lot, then they will decide that, okay, we've casted lot, the tribe of uh, uh, Ephraim, as an example, 
uh, would possess this land in this region uh, based on their size. That is what that is uh, teaching us there. Again, ju just highlighting the principle here of God's uh, fairness and God's direction and wisdom in teaching uh, Moses and eventually Joshua how the land has to be distributed once they overcome it. Okay, so because God wanted order. Again, also highlighting God's um, character of orderliness. God is orderly. All right. Verse 57 just uh, went on to teach about the, um, the Levites, okay? These were the Levites who were counted by the clans. Now, remember, the Levites were not supposed to be part of the census for uh, the army. They were involved in the sanctuary. We have gone over all of that. But census still had to be done as well. As you, you can read those verses on your own. We come to verse 62. All the male Levites a month old or more, number 23,000. Again, you can go and do the comparison. The Levites also had to be counted moving forward because they would uh, work at the sanctuary to help um, care for God's sanctuary. Uh, come to verse 63. Let's read this one out loud. These are the ones counted by Moses and Elijah the priest when they counted the Israelites on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. Verse 64. Not one of them was among those counted by Moses and Aaron the priest when they counted the Israelites in the desert of Sinai. Remember that is what I was just saying. So this new census does not include any of the Israelites that were part of the first census. So they had all died. Wow. That prophecy had come to pass. Verse 65, for the Lord had told those Israelites they would surely die in the wilderness and not one of them was left except Caleb, son of Jehoshaphat. And Joshua, son of Nun. Again, just reiterating God's prophecy that uh, that prophecy had come to pass. So when God says something, he means business. You get that, right? The Lord doesn't waste a tea. He doesn't waste a breath. When the Lord says something, he means it. That is what these verses are teaching us, okay? And this is so applicable to our lives today. Whatever the Lord has told us throughout this scripture, he means it. He is serious. So you would be wise to adhere to his decrees. All right, moving along here. We are now to uh, chapter, we come to chapter 27. What is the gist of this chapter? This is really an interesting chapter, which some of you may think, oh, it doesn't apply to me. But it still applies to some remote African villages, okay? Uh, I have to use Africa because I'm originally from Cameroon, West Africa. I know my culture and I know the culture in Africa. So I bet you maybe there are some other cultures in the world that these uh, principles we're going to learn here from chapter 27 are still applicable. But I know in my culture, certain remote Villages in Africa, this, this issue still happen. So what is the gist of this chapter? Here we will learn how the Lord would give further instructions to Moses about inheritance of property, of land, uh, when the Israelites get into the promised land in the event that uh, a family 
head or a, a male in a family head is not available. That way the family's name is not eradicated from the books. That is what is going on here. Let's take a closer look at some verses, beginning with verse 1. Numbers chapter 27. The daughters of Zelopethad, son of Hepha, the son of Gildead, the son of Mecca, <laughs> boy attire. This is how they describe people back in the day based on their family uh, names and family line. The son of uh, Manasseh, belonging to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. Wow. The names of the daughters were Mela, Noah, Hogla, Mika, and Terah. This already tells us something how people were identified back then based on their family name and based on their clan, which is, which is why a lot of uh, this introduction in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, we begin by the son of this, from the clan of this, because they did, they did not have a physical identity card. <laughs> oh my goodness, like we have today. So people were identified based on their clans, based on their family names. So which makes this chapter very significant because if your family's name was eradicated from, from the Israelite community, you, you are nobody. It's like today, living in the U.S., you have no identity card. How, how would people identify you? You, you? you will not be able to, to, to uh, function as a citizen of, of the U.S., you will not be able to inherit some of the um, benefits from the state upon retirement, social, social security. I mean, if you, if you just keep working, you have no ID, you have no way for the government to trust you, you cannot get tax refund. So this, this may seem a cake, but back then this was significant. Okay, so this was like the identification Okay, I may not be able to pronounce these words or these tribes, but that was their ID. Just like we have physical ID today that somebody can identify us. All right. So now they came to Moses. I'm now in verse 2 and stood before Moses, Eliza, the priest, and the leaders of the whole community in front of the tent of meeting. Verse 3, they said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who... Banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. So they came to Moses and said, hey, our father was not part of that, that gangster, Korah, who disobeyed the Lord, but our father died as a result of their own sin, which was that sin that the Lord made a righteous judgment that all of the Israelites who did not uh, obey him would die in the wilderness. So this is a second generation now. So she is aware of what happened to her father. He said, my father died based on his own sin of disobeying the Lord. He died and there are no sons. He left no sons. Essentially, they are saying that we don't have brothers. Verse 4, why should our father's name disappear from his clan? Because he had no sons. Give us property among our father's relatives. This was powerful. So they are like, okay, our father died in the wilderness because he was disobedient. And God's righteous judgment fell upon him. But I have no brothers. We cannot allow our father's name to disappear from, from uh, the community. Give us something, even though we are daughters. Apparently, this is implying that when the son or a, a male is not the remaining family member 
of that uh, family line, there was a potential that the, the line, the family name may disappear from the books. So we see bold, courageous ladies uh, coming forward uh, to stand up for what is rightfully theirs, to say that we, our father's name would not be eradicated from the Israelite community. We want our own share. And the Lord saw that, and the Lord was impressed by that boldness and wisdom in them. So in verse 5, uh, Moses brought their case before the Lord, and in verse 6, the Lord said to him, uh, the Lord just went to say that what um, uh, Zelophehad's da uh, daughters are saying is correct. Okay, so the Lord acknowledged their, their wisdom there. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. You know, upon reading this casually, a person may say, but wait a minute. The Lord had already given Moses instructions how the property would be divided. Didn't God know this, right? A person may think about that. Well, God knows all things. Okay, we know that. Here's, here's the deal here. There are some things that God is going to allow us to use our own wisdom as we seek his counsel to do. God has given us a free will. He has given us brains. <laughs> and as New Testament believers, we have the full counsel of God, the entire Bible. Okay, these Old Testament people did not have the full counsel of God. They had partial revelation of God, and throughout the Old Testament is what is called progressive revelation of God, like I had explained. God was revealing himself to them slowly but surely. And we are told in the New Testament, I believe uh, many scriptures won't come to mind right now, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, that in the past God spoke through the prophets, but Today, i.e. referring to the New Testament, God has spoken through Jesus Christ. And of course, we have the full counsel of God through his Holy Scriptures. And the Apostle Peter tells us that the Holy Scriptures is a sure way, is the sure foundation, a sure way to discern the will of God. So today we have no excuse. We have the full counsel of God and we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us to guide us into all truths to enable us to make rightful decision. So God is expecting us to act by faith to make correct godly decisions as we are led by the Holy Spirit. But back then, these people did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. They did not have the full counsel or full revelation of God. So even though God knows all things, God knew this, when this lady or these ladies came to Moses with this proposal, God affirmed it. God affirmed it by saying that, yes, this is correct. This is a wise, godly move by these ladies. So I will act on their behalf and bless them. Man, do you see the principle here? Just like today, when we act on the full counsel of God, when we act on his decrees, we get result. We get answered prayers. So this is what is happening here. They step up in boldness. And in faith, they present their case to Moses. God acknowledged it. God agreed. And they got results. Okay? So that is what is happening here. And then the rest of these verses, the Lord went on to give the instructions, i.e. answered prayer, 
uh, gave uh, Moses further revelation how the land has to be distributed among relatives if there is no son or brothers alive. You can read those verses on your own. We come to uh, verse 12. Verses 12 all the way to 23 will teach us how uh, Moses will pass the baton to Joshua because Moses is preparing for his impending death due to disobedience. Let's take a look at verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up this mountain in the Abarim ranch and see the land I have given the Israelites. Isn't this beautiful? This, this really bothers me. I, I just feel for Moses. Moses had been an obedient servant. He had worked so hard for the Lord. He had stayed humble. But God is God. God is unchangeable in his core essence. <laughs> God will punish disobedience, even among his most beloved prophets and servants. As I had already thought, Moses disobeyed God. When he struck that rock, instead of speaking to that rock, we see the consequence befalling him right here. The Lord was even gracious to allow Moses to take a sneak preview, if you will, of the promised land. So the Lord said, you go up the mountain and take a look at the land that you were supposed to go inherit. But because of disobedience, you would not, Joshua, will go in your place. That's what's happening there. Verse 13, after you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. Verse 14, for when the community rebelled against the waters in the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. So God is just reiterating, reminding Moses why he would not get into the promised land because they disobeyed him. They did not uh, respect him as holy in front of the Israelite community. Verse 15, Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community, verse 17, to go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Powerful, compassionate prayer of intercession. Again, in spite of the righteous judgment against Moses, we see a, a leader, Moses, who is accepting, who has accepted God's final judgment. He did not grumble. He was still pleading, interceding. We really see Moses here as a type of Christ, interceding for the Israelites. We see the love Love of Christ for the Israelite no, uh, nation through the eyes of Moses. If you remember, when we get to the Gospels, Jesus had cried out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathered her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look! Your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That was out of Luke chapter 13, verse 34. So you could sense the love of Jesus Christ 
for the Israelites, just like we saw Moses expressing that same kind of love for the nation of Israel. We see a similar thing happening here that Moses is expressing so much love to the nation of Israel that please don't let them go on their own. Appoint someone, okay, who would be in charge. Appoint someone who would, who would be in charge of these people so they don't go as sheep without shepherd. We see the love of Moses and the compassion of Moses as a true intercessor for the Israelites there. And I really like how Moses asked God to appoint someone. This is also teaching us a lot more about Moses. He wanted God to choose the leader, even though Moses had seen the affirmation that the Lord had bestowed upon Caleb and Joshua. Moses wanted God to decide. Moses wasn't going to decide if it was going to be Caleb or Joshua. Moses had seen their their faithfulness. Moses had seen the, the faith of Caleb and Joshua. Moses could have easily used his own human wisdom to choose a leader. But Moses knew the, the, the insurmountable task ahead of whoever will take that role. So Moses asked God to be the one to select the person because God knows all things. Boy, I tell you, we should truly depend on God for all of our decisions, okay? So the Lord said to Moses, I am now in verse um, 18, take Joshua. So God has made his choice. Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership and lay your hand on him. This is interesting because we also know that Caleb also had displayed powerful leadership skills. We don't know why God chose Joshua. And this scripture, these verses doesn't tell us, but God just chose Joshua and not Caleb. We don't know why. Okay. And God is saying that Joshua has uh, strong leadership skills and he is asking Moses to lay his hands on him. We see uh, the doctrine of laying on of hands uh, for the impartation of spiritual strength, guidance, and wisdom right here. Okay. So, uh, verse 19, have him stand before Eliza the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. Verse 20, give him some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. And like the way the Lord was going to do this so that people would have no doubt that Joshua is his chosen leader to replace Moses. And the Lord is going to do it in such a way that Moses would lay his hands on Joshua and impart that spiritual strength, wisdom, and leadership to Joshua in front of everybody, and the priest was going to be right there as well. This is powerful. Verse 21, he is to stand before Eliza, the priest, who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire assembly of Israelites will go out and at his command, they will come in. So we see something happening here. The way this normally would work is that the priest will go in front of the leader. In the case of Moses, it was Aaron who would go in front to inquire of the Lord using the Urim. Remember we talked about that? This was like a stone that was attached to the breastplate of the priest. And they would use that to seek spiritual guidance from the Lord. And supernaturally, by faith, the Lord would impart this wisdom 
to the priest who would then relay the information to the leader. In the case of Aaron, it was Moses. So we see a similar thing happening here where Eliezer, who had succeeded Aaron, would go in front of Joshua and using the Urim, the Lord is saying that he would impart his wisdom unto Eliza, the high priest, using the Urim, and Eliza will communicate that to Joshua. Wow, even though, as we know, uh, in many times, God spoke to Moses face to face, okay, at the tent of meeting. But most of the time, the Lord would give a revelation to Aaron, and then Aaron, the high priest, would pass it along to Moses, and then they would proceed. So we see the same order happening here. That Eliza will be the one to seek uh, counsel from the God, from the Lord, using the Urim, and the Lord will speak His wisdom to Eliza the priest, and He would impart that unto unto Joshua moving forward. So the Lord is still maintaining order. My goodness, we serve a God of order. Boy, can you see that God is orderly? The ways of God are predictable in the Bible. There are people who would say, oh, you cannot predict the ways of God. That is not true. Whatever God wants us to know about himself, he has told us. And it's sufficient for us to walk daily with the Lord. We do not need to seek elsewhere. We have it here. God is orderly. And the Apostle Paul even tells us that in the book of, uh, I believe it's uh, 1 Corinthians, Okay, that God is a God of order, not a God of confusion. We see that happening here. Verse um, 22, Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and, and had him stand before Eliza, the priest, and the whole assembly. Verse 23, then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. Powerful. So what can we learn here? This is a powerful principle of handing over the baton. Moses handed over the baton to Joshua willfully, gracefully. After seeking counsel from the Lord, the Lord gave Moses specific instructions how to transition. Okay, there are people who are leaders in a ministry or a lead pastor or head pastor or senior pastor, however way you want to call it. They struggle with handing down the baton. They struggle with passing down to a different pastor. But this is giving us guidelines how to do that. Seek counsel from the Lord. Wait and listen to his instructions. Do it as unto the Lord. Okay? So we see how Joshua was affirmed, confirmed in front of the entire assembly so no one would mess with him. And the Lord did this so to remind the people that you don't mess with my chosen servant. I have chosen him. Okay? So we, we see how um, God choosing Joshua also tells us a, a lot because Joshua had been well prepared for this position. I am not going to go back and reteach this whole thing. But if you remember, Joshua was the aide to Moses. Okay, Joshua was one of the spies who went to the promised land. Joshua had seen the miracles that God had performed through Moses. Joshua had seen a lot of the glory of the Lord. Uh, Joshua had expressed his faith. He had walked by faith. He had articulated his faith. So this man did not come into this position faint-heartedly. He had been trained he loved God. He had expressed that. He had 
seen what Moses had done. He was ready. He had been prepared for this day. So what else was left? Laying on of hands. Moses just laid hands on him, declare and prophesy over him, affirm him. Done deal. Ooh, glory to God. So if we have people who are our assistants in ministry, assistant pastors, we want to be certain that we are training them throughout. We want to be certain that we are observing them. Okay, we want to be certain that we are seeing what the Lord is doing through them. We want to be seeking and descending from the Lord because eventually when we pass the baton, it's not going to be a difficult task. All right. So the, the major idea here is that as leaders, there is always somebody that the Lord will bring in our paths, bring into our ministries, bring into the church that would eventually succeed us. And we want to take closer look at how God is working in, in their lives and we should be training them in all truths, in righteousness, because eventually they will take on the baton. So we learned that here. So that brings us to the end of chapter 27. So what are the major principles we have learned from chapters 26 and 27? So what are the major principles and application? Two major principles. Principle number one, we see God's supernatural sovereign will for the nation of Israel uh, manifesting. He uh, miraculously kept the nation of Israel intact uh, after killing the first generation. And the second principle here is that of godly leadership. Okay. We, we've learned how when we seek God for godly counsel with regards to leadership, God answers and God will give us specific instructions how to go about handing the baton or appointing the next person to succeed us when it's time uh, for the Lord to take us to the next uh, venture or the next mission or the next assignment in our uh, walk with him. So what is the major application? It is obvious. I've talked about God's uh, sovereign overall will for our individual lives and for our lives as Christians. Here uh, we've learned how God maintained the integrity of the nation of Israel. Likewise, God, God's uh, overall will for our lives will come to pass, i.e. when we die, we will go to heaven. And uh, there is a limit to what God would allow the enemy to do in our lives. Uh, but if we choose to walk in disobedience, God would allow Satan to uh, come into our life and to raise havoc because we disobey God. But God will place a limit, meaning that we would not endure unto hell. We will get into heaven uh, if we die before our time. So that is uh, one major application there. So, Father God, we just thank you because you're such a good, loving, compassionate God. We thank you that you are a supernatural God. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth, Father God. In the same way that you supernaturally kept the nation of Israel, even after 
the first and the second census. We know by faith that you are supernaturally preserving us today as your chosen children for the God. We ask you to fill us today with much, much understanding of who you are. Quicken our spirits, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. Guide our steps always for the God. We surrender all of our ways to you today. We thank you for Jesus Christ, for the God, for the same love that he expressed to the nation of Israel. We know that he loves us today even much, much more because he died on the cross in our place. We thank you for such great love that we can never begin to understand, Lord. Today for the God, I just thank you for all the listeners. I just ask for your spirit to comfort them. I just ask for your spirit to protect them, to go before them, guide them to all righteousness, Lord. You are such a good God, so we believe by faith this prayer is answered. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody say, Amen. Glory to God, Jesus is Lord. Friend, are you being blessed yet? I'm trusting God you are being blessed and encouraged by his word because the word of God never returns void. So friend, as you are being blessed, would you please send me an email to just let me know how these teachings are blessing you, encouraging you, and transforming your lives? Here is our email address, info at drruthtani.org. Again, that is info, I-N-F-O, at drruthtanya.org and I personally read all the emails sent to me so I look forward to hearing from you how these teachings are blessing you it will really encourage me and my uh, staff here at the ministry to know that uh, the Lord is using this to transform your lives and also check us out on Facebook and on YouTube, uh, Dr. Ruth uh, Tani uh, Ministries, and I have other teachings there. And also sign up for my e-newsletters. Just visit our website, drruthtani.org. Just scroll down. You will see a box that says subscribe uh, to our email list. Just enter the best email address there. You will be subscribed. And we do send out e-newsletters once, sometimes twice a month. And in those uh, newsletters, we have Bible teachings as well. Uh, so there are many ways that uh, you can receive Bible teachings from us. So please stay connected uh, with us and continue to listen to these uh, podcast teachings and grow in God's Word. 